Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 50. We'll be beginning in verse 15. Now, uh, before we begin, I'd like to say thank you to Nancy for all the work that she does, uh, did with our Christmas musical, getting it put together, helping us put it together, and also for the work she does on a weekly basis in, in helping us uh, with our worship and also to the choir. I just want to say thank you to them for the hard work that they put in in order to present the music to you today for Christmas. And I also want you to know that I am aware of the time, and so I will be keeping this short today. We are in Genesis uh, chapter 50, verse 15, and we will wrap up our study of the book of Genesis today. Hear the word of the Lord. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his father's family. He lived a hundred and ten years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to you to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Let us pray. Our great and glorious God, we do thank you for the life of Joseph and what it shows to us of who you are and the plans that you have for us. Lord, be with us today as we study. Open our eyes and our ears to see your glory, your majesty, and your salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last couple chapters, we have seen the end of Jacob's life. And Jacob has now died. And the brothers have have worked together to take Jacob to the, the tomb there that Abraham had purchased so many years ago, and they have buried him and they have returned to Egypt. And the brothers, in their own mind, see a problem. And the problem is that now that Jacob is gone, they may be in danger for what they had done to Joseph. Remember many, many years ago, they had kidnapped Joseph and sold him into slavery, slavery into Egypt. And so they, they develop this scheme and they, they tell Joseph, they come, they send servants to him and they say, Look, this is what Jacob, our father, wanted you to promise him after he died, that you would not harm us. And they find out that Joseph is in a good mood. He weeps over this. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And so they go to him themselves and they, they throw themselves at their feet and say, we are your slaves. They actually put themselves for the second time in the same place that they had placed Joseph so many years ago. And and Joseph weeps. Now let's put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a moment. 
You know, for the last 17 years, you have provided a home. You have provided food. You have provided safety and security in the midst of a famine, in the midst of a foreign land, to your brothers and to their families. And now that their father is gone, those brothers come to you worried that you're going to treat them differently now. And it breaks his heart. He has done nothing but show them love and forgiveness. And he has shown them love and forgiveness because he understands something. And that understanding comes in his response to them. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. See, Joseph understands a couple things here. First thing is he understands that what the brothers did was wrong. He doesn't let them off the hook for that. He says, you intended to harm me. You intended to hurt me. You intended to do me ill. But I'm not God. Paul expresses this in his letters when he says, you know, do not take vengeance on somebody. It is God's place to repay. And so Joseph says, I am not in God's place to judge you. God actually took what you meant for evil, the selling, selling me into slavery. And he has used it for good. He has used it to save many lives, not just yours, not just your families, but the entire known world has had an opportunity to have their lives saved because of what you did, because of how God used what you did. And he says, there's nothing I could do to seek vengeance because of that. We, we look at the, the difficult times in our lives, the evil, the harm that is done against us, and we wonder, how do we take, how do we get back at these people for that? And Joseph says, you know what, it was evil, you're right, but it's not my place to judge. Does God still use evil events? Absolutely. He used an evil event 2,000 years ago to provide salvation for you and for me as the Jewish religious leaders, as the Roman political leaders nailed an innocent man to the cross, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God has used that to save many people, not just from famine and hunger, but from eternal damnation. After Joseph, excuse me, after Joseph deals with his brothers, reminds them of God's goodness in the midst of the, their evil acts, reminds them that God is sovereign over all. The book of Genesis comes to an end. Now, what are the, the one of the themes of the book of Genesis that has run at least since uh, chapter 20 or 12, excuse me, is the idea of land, the idea of of progeny, of descendants that outnumber the stars in the heavens and the sands of the seashore. And we see that in Joseph's life. We see the descendants come to pass as he holds his great-grandchildren upon his knee. But they don't have the land. The promise of the land is still unfulfilled when Joseph dies. But if we go back even further in the book of Genesis, we come to Genesis chapter 3. Well, Genesis chapter 2 first. God places Adam and Eve in the garden. And we're told that they are naked and unashamed. And we talk about that in the context of marriage, as rightly we should, that intimacy between husband and wife. But that was also an incomplete blessing. Nancy Guthrie, in an interview I listened to of hers recently, talks about the idea that the people that would have originally 
read that creation account, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They were created as God's vice regents, as his, his, his kings to rule in his stead on earth. But kings don't go around naked. They wear royal robes. And so the fact that, that when the fall happens, they are still unclothed leaves the promises incomplete. But what happened to Joseph? He wore regal and royal robes. And so as you're there in that, that initial audience of the book of Genesis, you're thinking, oh my goodness, here it is. Here is the seed of the woman that was promised. He is clothed in royal robes, unlike Adam and Eve. Everything is good. The, the seed that will crush the head of the serpent is here. And then Joseph dies. And so later on, Moses will be raised up and we'll read about him being clothed in royal robes. And Moses dies. And later on, a king will be raised up. The King David, who sits upon a throne in Jerusalem, in the promised land. And David dies. And then his son Solomon is raised up. He not only wears royal robes, but he establishes the house of God there in Jerusalem. He builds the temple and God's presence fills the temple of God. And then Solomon dies. And then Israel loses the land. And then 2,000 years ago, that same man that we talked about is given a royal robe as he's led to the cross. Today, this week, as we consider what is coming up on Tuesday, Christmas Day, we celebrate the birth of the one who fulfilled all of God's promises. He has brought a multitude of people to God. He has been the one that has the descendant of Abraham that has blessed the nations. And he is the king and king and Lord of lords who fulfills all of God's promises to bring salvation and to crush the head of the serpent, even though his heel was bruised. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, how great it is to know that you keep your promises the promises to Adam and Eve, the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph and his brothers, and to us. As we celebrate Christmas, help us to remember that your son was born on this earth and has been exalted through the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension to a place where he rules as your perfect image, as your perfect vice regent, as our King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.